Welcome to Curious and Candid, conversations with those in pursuit of more. Today's guest is Zach Evanesh. Zach, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Quentin. Great to be here, my man, on your third new, like third podcast. Very impressive. You know, made me already think, should I do a, should I shut mine down and move on? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm kind of a free spirit and I'm all over the place sometimes. So uh, maybe that's the reason for the third podcast, but um, excited to have you on. Uh, we're going to kind of walk our way through some conversational starter mm. questions. I like to ask all the guests just to kind of get the conversational ball rolling, so to speak, Zach. So I would like to know, how do you start your day? Is there any specific routine or ritual you like to stick to on most mornings on most days? Yes. Very regimented, you know, slightly by choice and slightly by force of nature. <laughs> so um, I'm married with two kids. We've got two dogs in the house. And so if uh, I don't wake up early, I don't get my writing in. I don't get uh, my morning uh, newsletter out. So I wake up at 5 a.m., uh, during the summertime, because I'm also a strength coach at a high school. So I get there for seven. I leave at 620. Uh, during the school year, I could wake up a little later. So it might be 530. But I usually have an hour to myself. So I make a cup of tea in the morning, come downstairs, and uh, I begin writing. So I have a newsletter that uh, I must have been writing uh, to newsletter subscribers, you know, uh, since close to two, uh, 20 years ago. So 2003, maybe I may have gotten like my first like software for newsletters. And I hate saying newsletter. It's so impersonal because when I'm writing, I feel like I'm writing to like one of my bros, one of my friends. So I, I come downstairs, uh, sit down here in my office and uh, I start writing. And uh, part of it is, uh, you know, from the heart. And other times I've maybe got like a plan going on, like, hey, I'm focusing on really you know, like I released a new book a week ago. So I'm really uh, encouraging my readers to pick up that book because I, you know, the feedback is all about like the inspiration and life changing behind it. Uh, sometimes I'll do some training in the morning. I don't want to say training, but like a warm up for the day. So uh, like last uh, November, December, I did the 30, 30, 30 challenge. So it was 30 push ups, 30 Hindu squats, 30 days in a row. Um, other times I might just want to stretch a little bit, or I might do 15 reps of several exercises like V-ups, push-ups, bodyweight squats. Uh, but lately it's just have a cup of tea, come downstairs, start writing. And then um, like during the summer, I'm coaching Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So that's when my routine gets a little bit uh, changed because normally after I write, make breakfast for my kids, get them to school, I go to my own gym down the street and I train because I go to my high school like around 10, 15, 10, 30. So I get to train Monday through Friday is my training schedule uh, 10 months out of the year. In the summertime, I'll train probably three to four times a week. And then I'll go after, you know, my Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday coaching. I'll go afterwards. But for the most part, it's tea, writing and training. And then it's like, okay. Uh, now I could get on with like the meat and potatoes of the day and a really training for me is for, of course, physical health, but emotionally, psychologically, what it does for me, it kind of calms me down. It, it sets the tone for the day. If I don't train, I'm just not in the best of spirits. So like 
Fourth of July, we were having family coming over. My wife knew before I started grilling and shopping, he has to go train. Like that's, you know, that's like the way to like uh, other people might drink or smoke pot or whatever they want to do. I need to like squat and deadlift and flip tires and do pushups. And then it's like, ah, nice and calm. <laughs> cool. Love that, Zach. Um, now, uh, we're going to talk about your book that you mentioned that you just came out with recently here in a moment. But uh, do you have like an all time favorite book oh, yeah. or a book that you like to gift often? If you want to answer both sure. of those questions, that's great. <clears throat> um, and then what's like a go to podcast or your favorite podcast? We're going to talk about your podcast as well, but um, outside of yours, what do you what do you like for a podcast currently? Yeah, so I'm um, probably listening to podcasts more than I'm reading. I used to read every night was like two pages before I went. To, that was my rule. You got to read two pages before you go to bed. I'd say in the business world, um, I have a few. It's hard to stick to one, but one that stays on or near my desk at all times is Stephen Pressfield's Turning Pro which I also gift it quite often at seminars when um, I'm doing my certification. I've done the Strong Life Seminar, Strong Life Experience. I will gift Stephen's uh, book, Turning Pro. Simply keeping the kind of book and reading the cover is a reminder of, oh, are you working like a pro or are you doing fake work, busy work, where you're like scrolling and looking at stuff you're consuming but not producing? So that is one of my favorites. One of my favorites that really gave me the mindset in business um, is from Dan Kennedy, who was a uh, one kind of like the uh, early guys in um, copywriting and uh, business education. He has a series of books called No BS. And then there's like a different title to each No BS. But my favorites are No BS Wealth Attraction and No BS Time Management. And you could buy those books in like a Kinko's, a Staples. You could buy it on Amazon for $3. But the mindset shift that I acquired from reading his books over and over again have just really, <clears throat> they've been kind of the framework to my business, especially as a busy guy. So those three books in the business world. And then when it comes to training, you know, the book that really, uh, changed my life were Arnold Schwarzenegger's two books, his encyclopedia, which is massive. I think it's like 500 plus pages, um, which we actually purchased when I was in Israel as a kid. My grandfather bought it for my brother and I, and I was pretty young. You know, I may not have even been in middle school when we got it. And then when I got to high school, I read his autobiography, which is called the education of a bodybuilder. I read that book, um, three years in a row. I, I didn't let any other kids take it out of the high school library. So during this recent documentary, everybody's like, you got to see it. As soon as I saw the first five minutes, I was like, Oh, I already know this because I had, I I've memorized his book and life story. So education of a bodybuilder encyclopedia of modern bodybuilding. So Arnold, Dan Kennedy, Stephen Pressfield, those books are tremendous to me. Cool. Oh, podcast, um, right? Yeah, I yeah podcast. What what are you listening to lately? Um, I'll tell you what's on right now. Coming here, Perfect. I was listening to My First Million. Um, I I like those guys. That that's a great podcast. Um, a couple of my friends, Mark Smelly Bell, who's got the Power Project. Joe DeSena had Spartan Up, but now he changed it to the Hard Way. 
Um, these guys are real interesting. They do a daily short podcast um, marketing school. It's uh, Eric, Sue, and Neil Patel. Five minutes, seven minutes. My, my first million has been very inspiring. And uh, one more that I, I've really enjoyed. It's a new one. It's called Voodoo Power, and it's on strength and conditioning. So I was just on this podcast yesterday. Steve, he's a strength coach, but he owns a farm, or he works on a farm, and he always wanted to be a cowboy. So when I'm watching him train athletes, there's horses in the background. Like kids are sprinting and lifting, and there's horses. And uh, his podcast is really cool. But uh, in business, my first million is really inspiring me because – here I am, 21 years online, and there's people, they're talking about like one person operation making $100,000 a month, you know. It just kind of reminds me and teaches me like, wow, like everybody is so capable. you are just got to keep finding a way. And I think that's why I've never given up because I'm a believer in the entrepreneurial life that um, there is a way. Uh, maybe my way is taking quite a bit longer than somebody's others, you know, but um, I'm going to keep going until I'm really impacting much more people than I am now. You know, I always wanted to impact a million people, changing lives of a million people. Okay. Now let's talk a little bit about uh, the Strong Life podcast. You have over 300 episodes. I think you're going on to 400. Close, um, yeah. When did you start that podcast? Why did you start it? And what um, have you learned since you've kind of stepped in the world of podcasting and, you know, sharing kind of like your experiences, your expertise, but also yeah. having conversations with other experts in the, the field? What have you kind of learned through the podcasting medium, so to speak, Zach? So the podcast is, I think, 10 years old now. I may have started it in 2013. And when I started you know, software and technology were very limited. So there, um, I was using Skype. I was actually using a different software called Ecamm. And uh, I was really struggling with recording and then getting audio. And uh, I didn't know how to even get the audio up. So the podcast technically started as like a video podcast. And uh, in that 2013 or 2012 time slot, I was on the Barbell Shrugged podcast, and uh, those guys invited me out to Miami for, um, man, I'm forgetting what that big CrossFit, oh, Wadapalooza. And so they bring me out, and they rent this big mansion, and they have uh, guests sleeping there who are going to be speakers at the uh, tent that they were kind of renting out at Wadapalooza. So I was one of the speakers. So they were interviewing all kinds of people. They were the first guys to video it and really make it kind of creative. Everybody's standing, nobody's sitting, moving around. And so um, after those guys uh, kind of uh, brought me into their world, I realized, oh, I got to think bigger, go bigger. So my first few episodes were just on YouTube. I didn't even have a title in the beginning. I didn't know what it was. So I believe my first guest was either Martin Rooney or Eric Cressy. They were one and two. And I remember Martin Rooney and I were talking. He's like, this podcast should be called Training for Life. And uh, it very well could have been. And uh, so, you know, through the decade plus of doing that podcast, as well as 
um, at one point before COVID, Joe DeSena with Spartan Up kind of created uh, Spartan Up was like an umbrella podcast. And then they created sub podcasts with trying to put out daily content. So mine was called Spartan Way, where I would share lessons from the world of being in Spartan. So it was about training, fitness, life, business. I would share excerpts from a book. I would share like, you know, a uh, a book title, a book excerpt, a experience I had. And then I would share something on average five minutes. So being in the podcast world, what I've learned is there are no rules. You know, you got marketing school going every day for three to seven minutes. You have Joe, who was at Spartan Up. Now they changed it to the hard way, kind of like you've had three different episodes. So the big lesson I have picked up from interviewing guests and working with Joe and just uh, listening to podcasts is uh, very much what you're doing. Be ready and willing to pivot versus saying, um, I'm quitting. I give up. We don't need to quit. We just maybe we've done something that didn't work to our liking or didn't have the impact we thought it would. And so, okay, I'm going to pivot. And uh, that's been my biggest lesson in uh, all of this. And then, of course, I'd say a tie, a neck to neck with that is anybody who was ultra successful being interviewed on these podcasts, whether it's impacting a lot of people, making a lot of money, writing a lot of books is their grit, their perseverance, their refusal to give up. Stephen Pressfield, I don't think, you know, really published like uh, his first book. He may have been late 40s, early 50s. And uh, Steve just did a uh, Instagram on it in relation to his book. And he said um, he, you know, was picking up always odd jobs because that was like his safety net to never finish the book. He would always get right an inch from the finish line and uh, working one of the odd jobs, they called it, you're pulling the pin. He worked for like a, um, it was either a trucking company. And the way they paralleled pulling the pin is if you were the train conductor and you wanted the train to come apart, you had to go and pull the pin to separate the train pieces. So he said uh, at this one job, um, it was like, all right, he was with this guy called John from Seattle. I didn't have a last name. And John from Seattle said, listen, like we got to do this together and don't let one another pull the pin. So let's say, you know, a weekend, they're like, hey, where's Joey Smith? He pulled the pin. So there was a lot of people quitting. And uh, it's cool to just listen to the parallels of things. And so now it's not so much, hey, do I quit? It's we're not quitting. <clears throat> We're going to pivot. We're going to find a way to do this. And I got to tell you, you know, this recent book I published, I started writing it during COVID and I was pulling the pin on a hundred different things. The book was done, but I was like, oh, getting it on Amazon. Oh, my editor wants me to change this again. And I was so ready to just be like, F this thing. I'll just make it an ebook. And I've been there before. And and then when you complete it, you're like, that wasn't actually that hard. It was all fabricated in my mind. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Love it, Zach. Okay. Um, what life lesson have you been taught or have you learned within the last year or recent times? 
Um, I'm going to piggyback on that one that I just uh, mentioned, you know, don't pull the pin and pivot. Um, and I could take that way back to, I shared this story when I was a uh, freshman in high school on the wrestling team. I was a first year wrestler and uh, the majority of my teammates started wrestling in sixth grade, third grade, first grade. So they either had three, six, or like eight years of experience where I had zero experience. Well, I got my butt kicked all year. And then finally, the last week of practice, I start beating some of the guys. I'm taking them down. I'm escaping. I'm winning our practice matches. And finally, in between one of the matches, I sit down and this one kid says, he's like, man, you're killing it. This is great. He's like, we were all betting on when you were going to quit. So I guess they were betting on like, Zach's going to quit this week. Oh, no, no, next week. And when he said it to me, you know, I was very young. I uh, In high school, I turned 14 December of freshman year. So this is like February. And I remember when he said that, the thought through my mind was, I didn't even know quitting was allowed. I honestly thought we sign up, we finish. And I've seen this shift in the world today. Like I work in a high school and the past few years I've seen student teachers and they're gone every other day. They don't feel good. They don't come in. They're on their phone. They're kind of disheveled looking. They don't wear, you know, a collared shirt. They don't look like a pro, you know, the book turning pro. Um, Even if you're not a pro yet, um, let's be a pro as, you know, let's dress the part as if we already are. And so I remember thinking of student teaching. Oh, I didn't know I could even call out sick. I thought like I'm showing up unless blood is shooting out of my ears. But every teacher I worked with like pushed me. I uh, My whole day Sunday was spent like writing lesson plans. And I didn't know I could do a shitty job. I didn't know that was allowed. I didn't know I could disappear every other day or opt out of actually teaching. And so, uh, you know, again, quitting has very negative connotation. So pivot, but, you know, quitting also, where's the grit? Where's the perseverance? That is an absolute necessity if you want to be successful in anything, including um, relationships, parenting. Like, you know, I've been doing strength and conditioning for so long, but every day I'm learning to even communicate better with the athletes I work with. Because I'm learning to pivot. They respond differently than athletes responded five years ago, certainly 10 to 20 years ago. So you got to pivot and find a way to get better and make forward progress. So today's Thursday. Tomorrow, I will be better than I am today. Who I am tomorrow is not who I am today. And I teach those lessons, especially to the incoming freshmen. Because you could have incoming freshmen that weigh 105 pounds. 120 pounds by the time their senior year comes around they could gain 40 to 80 pounds if they gain 40 pounds that's not even one pound a month in four years that's not that one pound a month it see it sounds so little but then when you see a kid who's graduating 100 pounds heavier it shows you the power of commitment consistency so these are kind of lessons I've probably always quote unquote known, but now I'm getting this real deeper connection to them. Mm, Cool. Love it. Okay. 
Um, last one in terms of the conversational starter questions, then we're going to uh, dive into your backstory, Zach. Uh, do you have a favorite quote, mantra, or word? If there's more than one, feel free to share. Yes. Favorite uh, quote is uh, something I saw when I started training at Diamond Gym, which was a bodybuilding gym in New Jersey. That reminds me of like West Side Barbell of the bodybuilding world. So for those listening that aren't into all that stuff, it was a very intense place with loud music. Photos surrounded the entire wall of every bodybuilder uh, from Diamond Gym. You just were in, you wanted to get up on that wall. And the owner kind of had no rules because he wanted it to be like a, um, a Wild West saloon where the cowboys parked their horses. So these guys would park motorcycles on the front porch. He wouldn't say, don't drop weights, don't do this. He let it be free. But there was a poem in front of the squat rack next to an old black and white photo of Tom Platt's squatting in college with a bar that was bending and his legs looked like tree trunks. And the poem said, there are those that do and those that don't, those that will and those that won't. And those two photos were staring you in the face every time you got under the squat bar. And it's like you were thinking you're going to do three. And then you looked at that poem and you're doing five or six, or you think you're doing 10 and now you're doing 15. And it's amazing how those words changed my life. And so I first went to that gym in, I think, November or December of 1993. So you and I are having this conversation in the summer of 2023. That's 30 years ago, but I still remember those words. And it goes to show you, like, it's amazing what the power of words can do for somebody or even a photo. You know, I could look at a photo and it can elicit, like, I could imagine the story behind it. So um, for the creatives listening, um, I guess my message to them with that is, like, put your work out there. Because your work can change somebody's life. And, uh, you know, not everybody's going to love it. Certainly, probably not everybody loved Diamond Jim, but I did. And that photo um, of that poem was, uh, man, it still fires me up. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I can tell. That's yeah. great. Um, okay, Zach, now uh, I want to kind of uh, take a, a deep dive into your backstory. So talk talk to us about, like, where you grew up and what the younger years were like for you. I know you played sports and were very active and things like that, but why don't you kind of just hit on some of the, the highlights in terms of your, your childhood, if you don't mind, please. Right. So I'm 47. So I was uh, born in 75 and uh, was born in Israel. And my family moved to America when I was 11 months old, we moved to the Bronx. And uh, I think I may have been four or five when we moved to New Jersey and uh, me, I think four, because I remember we lived in a uh, apartment complex. And then my uh, parents bought a house from a friend of theirs who was moving somewhere else in New Jersey. And I got to grow up in this neighborhood packed with a bunch of kids my age or two years older. So I have an older brother, two years older and a younger brother. And so by the time we moved to this town, uh, Edison, New Jersey, central New Jersey, uh, we were outside. It was like a electric neighborhood where you're playing basketball, street hockey, manhunt, bike tag, BMX biking, 
if it's raining, we're fixing our bikes. And so I grew up in the eighties on in that BMX skateboard scene, spending your days outside, not allowed to come home except for dinner. And then at 10 PM at night. And, um, my dad coming from Romania and Israel wasn't really familiar with football, baseball. So my dad uh, got me into soccer and I was not great, but I was pretty good at it. But in eighth grade, my brother was a sophomore and my brother joined wrestling and uh, he comes home from practice one day. So hyped up saying I'm in, I just joined the best sport in the world. He says the best sport in the world. It's like, it's rest. This sport is called wrestling and you have to like beat the other guy up and you have to like, you know, get a hold of his legs and take him down. And he was practicing stuff on me in the living room or downstairs, like wrestling on the carpet. And so my older brother was into the training, the working out before I was yet. What's strange is once I got into sixth grade, I'd be in his room and I would read the bodybuilding books and magazines that he had, but I was never like actually doing the thing. He had weights in the room and I would try to like follow something from a magazine or Arnold's book. And I would do it for one day or one week. And then I would stop. And I remember saying to myself, like, what's wrong? What is something wrong with me? Like, why can't I just stick to this? So the end of eighth grade, about two weeks before eighth grade ended, like early June, I go into my brother's room again and I open Arnold's encyclopedia and he has this beginner strength training, beginner bodybuilding program. And I just start copying it. And I use the weights that we had like skinny barbells with the spin collars. And I had to like lift the bar to get it on my back. And I just started, I don't know how, but finally it clicked. I fell in love with it. And then a kid, uh, a couple houses up the street, his name was Matt, about three or four houses away. He also had weights in his uh, like uh, basement. Then him and I started training together and everything was a competition. You do 10, I'll do 11. If you did 75 pounds, I'll do 80 pounds. And him and I would train Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I'd be out running. And as soon as my brother mentioned wrestling and said, this is the sport you got to do, I began training. I thought that was normal activity, running a lot, bodybuilding workouts three days a week. And uh, part of me was like, I have to prepare for this sport. And so what's so strange is, you know, I'm at a high school, so I'm seeing 150, 200 athletes a day. Freshman football started training with me three weeks ago. 25 to 35% could not do one push-up. And I said to them, guys, when I was a kid, as soon as I knew I was training for a high school sport, I was doing push-ups all day. I'd wake up, roll out of bed, push-ups. And I would do push-ups throughout my day, maxing out, trying to, you know, 20 in a row, 25 in a row. Can I get to 35 in a row? And I said, guys, You signed up for a sport where somebody's trying to smash, take your head off, smash your face in. How have you not considered doing push-ups? And uh, now that's my job is getting these kids strong. And I'm still using a lot of these old books that I learned from. And so in high school, I trained, you know, I I give the short version. I trained the wrong way. A lot of bodybuilding, kind of like squeezing, pump up lighter weights, 
no powerlifting work, no, no mentors really. And so by training the wrong way, it was like, you know, I was the horse going this way, but the carriage was, you know, going the other way. And I lost a lot. I got a lot of injuries to my knees, my shoulders. And then until finally in my mid twenties, while training in the early years of shoot fighting, which was like the precursor to MMA, which the place that I trained at was called No Holds Barred Fighting, NHB, I tore my ACL. And so from age 13 to like age 26, 27, I'm training bodybuilding. I get into my uh, early 20s. I learn about power bodybuilding by reading about Dave Draper, who talks about doing like uh, uh, cheat curls with 185 pounds and squatting heavy and dumbbell benching 150s. And I started putting a premium on strength and I started getting like that thicker golden era bodybuilding look. But the training I did, the running, you know, six to 10 miles every other day, just destroying my body. It really beat up my joints until finally I tore my ACL. When I tore my ACL, um, I was a fifth year teacher. So I would have been around 27. That's what put me over the edge to research strength and conditioning for wrestlers and for athletes because I was uh, mad and confused as to how somebody who could bench 315, squat 500 plus, you know, tore his shoulder, tore his knee, a broken nose I had, but that doesn't really mean you're not strong. But I had had enough injuries that like it set me over, it like put me over the edge to research and um, I've never stopped. And that would have been um, kind of around 2002 because before that happened, here's what happened. I'm going to back up a second. The year before that happened, I was going through my master's degree for health education. And with the drive an hour each way and all the, the papers and research I had to do, I couldn't train at Diamond Gym anymore, which was 25 to 30 minutes away. One day I hit traffic going to Diamond Gym and I couldn't even get to the gym. And then I had to get off the parkway, turn around. And I think I was in my car for like two plus hours and didn't get to train. And that's when I started buying used gym equipment, putting it in uh, the garage. You know, I lived with my parents and I was buying it off newspaper classified ads. So back then, Quentin, before the injury, I was looking at the personal training business to do something on the side because I was a teacher. But after the ACL tear, I was like, I'm going to do strength and conditioning. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that's where I came up with, I would always say I'm a strength and performance coach because I always felt like strength and conditioning meant strength, condition, nothing else. And so, uh, you know, a lot of my decisions and the path I've taken was kind of dictated through the pain I experienced that inspired me to move into a certain area. Mm. Okay, now I just want to take a quick step back before we move forward, Zach. Now, in terms of because you got into education in terms of like being a teacher yourself, right? In terms of academics in school, did you enjoy academics in school when you're younger? Or is that something that you've obtained over the years once you moved into areas maybe that you were interested in studying as opposed to being forced to study or learn something? Yeah, what's funny is in high school, 
I was a good student, but uh, I struggled with exams. And so uh, when I was uh, moved my senior year into honors English, I failed first marking period. And so I, I posted that on Twitter. I said, you know, what's funny is like I've written a lot of books, yet I failed my first marking period of high school English. And then my English teacher, uh, she got um, hurt, hurt her back. So they brought in a, a permanent sub and uh, that permanent sub helped me apply to college. And she helped me write my uh, essay, my creative, I had to learn creative writing. And I wrote a story about um, like I was uh, getting fast food from uh, McDonald's in Edison, which was like a big hangout where athletes would go after football games. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm not going to get too much into the weeds of it, but basically a guy tried to go through the drive through on foot. He couldn't get in. He knocks on the back window of my Mazda. I turn around. I see nobody. And then his head is like in the car. Uh, he's like, hey, man, they won't let me go through this. Do you mind if I get in? He gets in and he's kind of like a wackadoo. And he's, you know, we're talking about life and the military. And my brother's in the Israeli army. He's like, I used to be a Marine and I could kill people with my own two hands. So I wrote about how scared I was in the car and that I might have to fight this guy and use my wrestling. And um, my uh, teacher was like, this story is amazing. I felt like I was in the car with you. I had, she's like, I was so nervous reading it. And that's when I learned, like, I kind of like writing. <clears throat> and so um, I get into a local college and one of the uh, first classes freshman year was uh, creative writing. So uh, creative writing, I we had to write stories and I wrote about my first wrestling match that I won. And the teacher asks me to read the story. And he's like, can't you just feel it? <laughs> he's like, I felt like I was there. He's talking about pinning him. He's looking at the guy's shoulders going down inch by inch. He's breathing heavy. I felt like I was there, you know. And uh, I didn't know that I had some knack for writing. But what I really think it was, Quentin, was passion because the books I read in high school were Arnold's bodybuilding books. And when I read his books, I imagined like I was going through life with him. I was imagining all of those things. And so when I wrote, I just thought that people should imagine they're with me. And uh, never did I think I'm going to be a strength coach. And, uh, you know, now where education is really, it's not a something that I encourage people to go into. It's not in a good place. It's kind of heartbreaking, you know, and unfortunate. But when I got into it, I started teaching in um, 98, the spring of 98. So that was a long time ago. Back then, people were like, hey, you're a teacher. That's going to be a great job. You're going to work in Edison. You can make over $100,000. Oh, my God, $100,000. And uh, my grades outside of anything fitness-wise was a struggle. Uh, I was just struggling. But when I was in college and I'm studying anatomy and physiology and kinesiology, I was like, oh, I love this stuff. And what's crazy is it was really, you didn't learn that much back then because there wasn't a lot of interactive stuff like today. If you wanted to intern, they didn't have exercise science. They didn't have um, internships with a strength and conditioning coach. You worked in a hospital cardiac rehab, 
with like 80 year olds who are coming out of, you know, a heart attack or a stroke. So it's not like you're in this exciting environment. And, uh, you know, it happened for me when I couldn't get to Diamond Gym. I said, I'm just going to buy stuff. And I was buying equipment from the newspaper. So there was no eBay. I was looking the newspaper and I'd call people up. You don't know what it looks like. You're showing up hoping it's good. And so I remember buying my first used equipment. I went to Newark, which is like a crime capital of New Jersey. And so I was like, all right, I put a little money in my pocket, a little in my sock, a little in my underwear. That way, if somebody tries to mug me, they're not getting all the money. They're getting one third the money. So I still remember that day of going in and uh, just being like, I don't even know if I'm going to buy the equipment. Uh, but uh, there's a chance somebody will mug me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, now the question is, did you end up buying that equipment or was it a no-go? Yeah, I purchased, somebody must have had like a fitness studio, like a personal training studio. I purchased a pair of 50 and 100 pound dumbbells, a flat utility bench. So when I used that flat utility bench uh, to incline it, I put like a heavy duty toolbox under it. Uh, I bought a dip bar. And I think from this person, maybe it was another person, um, you're a bit younger than me, but there's a, a guy out in Ohio who was making equipment in the 90s. Uh, I, I'm not sure if he still makes equipment, but he was, had supplements called, his name's John Perillo, Perillo Performance. He created benches that had an arc, an arch. They were not straight. And so I bought an arced Perillo Performance bench. And I think I sold it, you know, a year later in the early days of, I don't know if it was eBay. I don't think Craigslist was out. There was, you know, the internet was starting to create forums where you could sell stuff. Of course, now I regret it because that's a uh, hot item to come across. So that's how I started with a pair of 50 and hundreds, utility bench, dip bar, and then I bought a... uh, squat stand from a website called new york barbells not york barbell new york barbells and it was called a gun rack because all it was was upright stands and i remember the price was very weird it was like 112 dollars and 50 cents some very weird number and uh i bought a 300 pound weight set from from uh, costco at the time it may have been called price club 99 bucks 300 pound weight set and that was the beginning of the underground strength gym before I even called it the underground strength gym. Okay. Now, before we get into underground strength and strength and uh, performance and conditioning and all that, Zach, talk to me a little bit about getting into education and being a teacher, because I'm a, I'm a K through 12 licensed educator myself, uh, own a gym currently getting back into education later this year, have a huge passion for the next generation. So what, what, what kind of, um, uh, inspired or encouraged you to step into education to, um, you know, uh, help train or, or raise up the next generation in terms of classroom work. And then we'll kind of get into the, the, uh, the training or conditioning part in a minute. Yeah. So interesting that you're, um, going to get back into education because I've been in and out. So for me, that was the only, uh, area I could really get into that fell under the umbrella of 
fitness and exercise? Like, how would I be able to be in the weight room, in the gym? Because even through high school, I would have my dad drive me to other gyms to look around and like, I would interview the front desk manager. You know, I would go to a Gold's gym. How did you get this gym? How did you get the equipment? How much does it cost? How often are you here? How much money do you make? You know, what's so I wanted to be involved in the world of exercise. I didn't really know. I, I, you know, I hate to say I didn't know where the heck I was going with it all. But when I was student teaching, I had a, a tremendous experience at the elementary level and a horrible experience at the high school level. So I knew I did not want to go to a place where I hated showing up. And so I was at the elementary level from 98 until 2009, except for the one year I tore my ACL, I was at the middle school level because I was coaching wrestling. And so the principal at that school was like, when are you going to make the move to the middle school? We need you here. You're coaching here. So I made a move. And uh, my principal at the elementary school said, you're making a big mistake and uh, you shouldn't do it. And I was making such an impact at the elementary school. I really had like, I think too much self-belief, too much arrogance that I could change everything. And what was tough at the middle school was I was no longer alone, meaning your student teaching, you're limited on equipment, you're over, uh, I'm not student teaching, team teaching. You're kind of um, overloaded with students and uh, under-equipped with enough equipment. And so it just promoted just kind of like a lot of apathy and behavior problems. And so here I am now at a high school. And what was weird is that in New Jersey, a full-time strength coach at the public school level is just not really a thing. There is, you know, a handful of us in New Jersey. But the way for me to get into this job was uh, you needed to have a health and phys ed certification. And so that's how I got into this high school. And ironically, the students at this high school are nothing like the kids I experienced in Edison. I mean, the kids are so nice and just they just don't do bad things. I'm in a really good area. And so it's interesting how doing the same thing in a different place can be You know, sometimes you just need to be around better people, different people, different environment. And uh, so now, even though I do strength and conditioning, I use strength and conditioning as a vehicle to build the confidence of the kids because I know that their time in sport is a small window. You know, nine, I think it's like six or 7% compete in college. So we're talking, you know, if we want to be nice and say 10% compete in college, nine out of 10 will not. But probably all of them will continue going to a gym. And so I always think, how cool is it going to be that these hundreds of kids, hundreds and hundreds that I train every year, when they're in their 20s and 30s and 40s, they're going to be that guy or girl in the gym front squatting, doing hang cleans, you know, setting their shoulders right when they're benching or doing shoulder health exercises. And it's like hill sprinting, even though like, Hey, you're not supposed to do that. You're in your forties. So I always say like, you know, okay. At the football banquet, football might be over, but the hill sprints are never over. The hang cleans are never over. The deep squats never end. You do them for life. 
And uh, that's, you know, going back to you asking me about my morning ritual. Now you see why, like, training for me, and I think for a lot of people, it is the ultimate therapy. I think if we incorporated fitness into everyday school, um, we would see less depression, suicides, and any kind of, you know, like the, um, you know, mental, um, mental and emotional and psychological well-being versus illness movement is really the ultimate medicine. And so I could only imagine if even kids that have nothing to do with sports, teach them how to do dumbbell squats, dumbbell bench, get them a good arm pump. That would change their life. You know, Joe DeSena and I always say, we should open a school. And before you even enter the doors, 30 burpees before you get in. The only thing is like the Spartan school would attract Spartan elite type kids. I'm very much interested in working with the kids who are struggling because I was one of those kids struggling. And, um, you know, a couple, uh, six weeks ago when sore neck summer strong was middle of May. So almost eight weeks ago, I squatted four Oh five, you know, I'm 47. I've had four knee surgeries. I think that's normal to be strong. Um, and I want to share that with, you know, like you said, this next generation, like my kids are in high school. I have a son who's going to be in high school in September. My daughter will be a junior. And, um, of course, I'm saying they're great kids. I'm not saying they're perfect, but I believe that the fitness aspect in our household did something for their confidence, their ability to persevere. That doesn't mean they don't stumble and falter and have tough times, but I um, see the confidence and I'm like, well, Ethan was climbing a rope at age one and a half because it was in the garage. So was my daughter, Summer. You know, I was sprinting up and down the street and doing farmer walks. And so my kids would come out on the front lawn and take a uh, gymnastics mat and, and try to imitate me doing push-ups. And uh, I seen how exercise changed their life. Like if my daughter's on the run around with schoolwork, she's like, I got to go on a run. I could see that she's doing it for her mental health, not just physical my son is now like a straight up meathead. He wants to go to the gym all the time. It's like uh, really cool. And so, you know what else is heartbreaking, Quentin? I'm going to tell you something about why I'm, it's, it hits me. When I started teaching in um, 98, and then I got hired at the elementary school, the school had a little over 300 kids. I still remember. And uh, two of the kids we're on the early days medication. I, I, I don't know. I can't remember what it was for being ADD or ADHD. And um, what I learned was uh, we kind of gamified it. If you, you know, I had them in first grade. So, of course, the new teacher, they're going to give the quote unquote bad kids. So it was Justin and Jonathan. Okay. So we got to this place where it was like, okay, if Mrs. Smith, I can't even remember their teacher's name can't remember it but let's say mrs smith says you have a good day you see me on tuesday but you had a great day monday you could eat lunch with me on tuesday so i never ate lunch in the teacher lounge because it was a, a lot of gossip yeah. so when these kids would eat lunch in the gym i would eat my lunch i would heat up my chicken and rice they would scarf food down in like 90 seconds and then i would let them take equipment out mm. scooters 
bowling pins, hockey sticks. And uh, man, they would like go to town. They would, they would smash into the bowling pins on the scooters. I would just let them. And what I learned is, oh, these kids just need another phys ed class. They need phys- physical activity. Before you know it, you know, two kids eating lunch with Mr. Abnesh is now 25 kids. It's like another phys ed class. They were so not interested in even finishing their meals. They just wanted to play more. And that's when I learned that the sitting and the uh, lack of activity was going to be a problem. That's my first year. Two kids on whatever the medication was. I can't even remember what it was back then. Then my fifth year teaching or sixth year teaching, the nurse had a line of like 30 kids deep, 32 kids deep lined up for the new medication that came out whatever was being promoted to quote unquote, calm your kid down. And I couldn't believe it. It was heartbreaking. Um, Normally the nurse office was open during lunch in case a kid got hurt during recess. Then it it had like a sign like, uh, you know, health office closed during yada yada time. And kids were lined up because their parents were putting them on these meds. And uh, what's interesting is I'm training, you know, I, I train, I've got my own gym since, uh, you know, 20 plus years. Well, a kid that I trained, I was like, man, you lost a lot of weight. He's like, I know. He's like, my mom put me on this medication because the teacher said I can't sit still in class. And he's like, I like have no appetite. I don't even want to eat. So some months later, he says to me, I just don't take it anymore. He's like, my mom gives it to me, but I just throw it out. And so you know, Kelly Starrett and his wife, I know I'm bouncing all around here, Quentin, on education, but years ago, they 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 started standing desks. They did it as a pilot in their uh, daughter's school. At the time, she was maybe second grade. Well, I haven't seen standing desks in the high school I'm in. I personally, like right now I'm sitting, but behind my computer, I have like a filing cabinet where I prop it up and I usually work standing. I mean, it's not odd for me. Like I I probably shouldn't, but a lot of times I'll just stand and eat. Like I like to just move. You know, I also understand to sit, calm down, but kids need to move. And I listen to the boys I train all the time. Like I know my son, he's not built for school. He should do like two hours in a class, two and a half hours. Then his other two and a half hours trading stocks, um, go building, go work with a woodworker or a contractor. He needs that as most boys do. You know, I live in a beach town. These kids should go and work at a surf shop, at a bike shop. Down here, you know, we have a lot of that. The sitting for six and a half, seven and a half hours a day is killing these kids. I mean, they look really, what I say is like boys have boobs and beer bellies and they're 13 or 15 from all the processed crap and the lack of activity. So me being on the ground floor, I'm 25 years in education now. I have seen the massive decline. And so that's why I really want to push the online business because I could only impact so many in person. So uh, that's a big brain dump. I apologize. No, that's okay. Now let's, let's, um, what from your perspective, Zach, 
being boots on the ground, how can we as adults, because it's, it's our um, duty, I believe, to uh, train up the next generation, but that's physically, mentally, what have you, right? What solution or solutions do you think are um, possible for us to help our youth move more and, and get off the drugs and, and, and just uh, be a little bit more uh, present and, uh, you know, not just so, I don't know, uh, addicted, I guess, to yeah. the drugs and the screens and all that. What, what solutions can we do specifically within like the public education realm? Because, um, you know, that's, that's kind of where I'm at and, and, and maybe others listening to this are going to be at. Yeah. Well, the truth of the matter is, Quentin, that the kids are pretty much going to spend half or more than half their day in school, right? So if you're in elementary school, you're there from 9 to 3.30. Then you get home around 4 till 10 p.m. You go to bed. So six and a half hours in school, six hours at home. Well, you have the one hour before you wake up. So a little bit more time at home. Step one is really the parents can't rely on the schools. Public schools are really the antithesis to what it takes to be successful. And this is what I mean by that. To uh, make a change requires all kinds of like administrative check marks. And there's too many administrators to even go through. They, they don't even like answer your emails. Um, number two, it has to get approved and voted on. And so now you're like six months into it. And in six months, you know, you could lose kids. But let's say I want to make a change at the Underground Strength Gym. I'll do it right now. Yeah. I'll change right now. And I will experiment with it. And if it doesn't work, I'll pivot right then and there. And if it didn't work so hot at 4 p.m., I'll change it for 5 p.m. And then maybe I realize, oh, I could kind of do the same, but the personality is at 4 o'clock is different than 5 o'clock. So... Parents have to be the kind of uh, change makers. So it has to start there. And then I'll get into the schools. The food in the house has to be as healthy and clean as, you know, minimal processed type crap in the house. Because um, what we eat impacts brain chemistry. Okay. Number two, mom and dad could talk about exercise all day. But if you don't demonstrate healthy living, your son and daughter have zero reason to actually believe it's important. And so my kids see me. My wife runs all the time. Um, we have like, there's weights in the house. There's a kettlebell in her office. There's a barbell, you know, with 10 pound plates there. It's in the house everywhere you go. Our garage has rings and kettlebells and a climbing rope. So mom and dad, how do you set the example? Um, that's So those are two things, the eating and parents must set the example. And now it's like a family thing. It's what we do. Schools, um, phys ed, it's probably never going to be an everyday thing. Okay. But it's got to get better. There are some great phys ed programs, but um, I said this, like I have one phys ed class and I tell them, I'm not walking with you guys. I don't have a master's degree and I will not accept a paycheck a paycheck and you guys get to go home and say, yeah, coach Evanesh took us walking today. Okay. You, an inmate in, you know, a, a dummy can take you walking a dummy could take a, you don't need a teacher to walk with you. 
we're going to do physical activity. We're going to have options, games, things for you to do. Biking, running, you got to at least run one lap. You have to elevate the standard. The problem is the, the phys ed classes are too big. Then the teachers team teach. Now you don't have any equipment. Um, and then it just promotes apathy. So the phys ed teachers need to raise the standard. Administration is too tied up with like bull crap. Like the lesson plans are so crazy, yet the teachers are not better from that. So schools need to stop bullshitting each other and high-fiving each other in an office that's separated from the school. Yes, this is the new style of lesson plans. It's going to be such a change. Bull crap. What do the kids really need? The kids need daily activity. If I was the principal of a school, and I'm sure this would be even a liability, we would start our morning with 10 jumping jacks, 10 squats. You know, we would start the day with activity. But I remember was going to do squat-tober in the school. And like the classes would do squats. And then the one administrator was like, you can't do that. The teacher is not, you know, certified as a phys ed teacher. So if somebody gets hurt, they fall. And that's the truth. Somebody could do bodyweight squats and fall backwards and then split their head. And they'll be like, what was the history teacher doing squats for? And there you go. And so schools, public schools are really organized in such a way where the administration is lying to themselves about improving. It's just not a place where the kids are growing as much as they can. Um, and so, you know, I probably am best suited to be somewhere else. It's that's the heartbreaking thing. But I'll tell you, you know, I'm in there as a strength coach and I have one class which is going to eventually become a strength and conditioning or like an advanced fitness elective. And I came in that school's weight room was it looked like a tornado. It looked like it was an outdoor weight room and a tornado hit and just the struggle of of uh, upgrading and updating equipment has been like I'm asking for their firstborn child when it really should be, hey, this is a massive liability. This dumbbell could break a kid's face if he's dumbbell benching or squatting. It'll fall on his foot. Replace them all. And so schools move too slow. If you want to win at life, you need to be an action taker, not reckless, but you got to start getting like you can't just, um, you know, oh, I want to swim, but let me just stand right here on the edge of the lake. I'm not going to go in. Let me just watch everybody else go in. You got to start doing it. You got to start getting your knees into the water, mid thigh into the water. Okay, I'm chest high. Let me learn to dog it. You have to make forward progress. Public schools are breaking my heart. That's the issue. And I got to tell you this, like, I'm okay with an administrator hearing me say this because I'm also, I'm quitting. I'm 47. So when I'm doing things and I know I'm a thorn in somebody's side, all I say in my mind is I don't care. I'm doing whatever it takes to better these kids. If you chose to be an administrator, I, I'm expecting you to move with me in these things that um, help the kids. And if you don't like it, fire me. Because I'm doing what's best for the kids. I'm not doing what I want to do because I'm happy. You know, I'm doing what's best for the kids. And I just don't think that's what's happening in schools. 
Certainly some public schools are better than others and not every private school is great, but public schools need to evolve much in a much better way. Hmm. Um, what, where did this passion Zach for helping uh, young people and youth come from? Is this something that you feel like was innate from the time you were born or was this something that you uh, fostered or developed? Where, where did it come from? Because a lot of times you see adults, they're passionate about their own kids, but then, you know, kind of when their kids are done, they just retire and do their own thing. So where, where, where's the passion come from for, for our youth, for you? Um, knowing what it did for me during tough times, you know, the emotional tough times, the physical tough times growing up in the eighties, there was no anti-bullying, you know, you could get beat up and nobody ever got in trouble. And so I saw what it did for me, not that I'm some heroic, um, you know, superhero, but uh, I feel great, man. I'm confident. I'm energetic. And it's all from exercise. It's all from strength training. It's all from building muscle and bodybuilding activities um, and doing hard things. And if I didn't do those things, I would probably be a miserable, depressed you know, I would, I'd be a energy vampire. You wouldn't want to be around me, but uh, I know what it does for people. And I want to share it. You know, I want to see other people happy, healthy, vibrant, excited, and exercise is like the magic pill. Cool. Um, now let's go, let's go back. So you, we, we kind of lightly touched on when you started underground strength, you went and started getting, uh, you know, some equipment here and there, uh, walk us through the evolution of, of underground strength and, and kind of what it is at this point today, Zach. Yep. So, uh, through the years I had opened several warehouse gyms at some points I had more than one location. Uh, unfortunately, probably one of our better locations, we shut it down during COVID um, not because COVID was stopping people from coming, but the business partner I had, as did the other programs, we were in a building with wrestling, jujitsu, boxing. Our business partner was, you know, um, I don't know if the word is stealing money, but he was really fudging a lot of expenses where nobody was making money. He was like pushing all of the, you know, take your temperature, wear a mask. Even when doors are open, people didn't want to come. So he really put us out of business. We were in a great location. So I've been in my current location for about 10 and a half years. And um, afternoons and evenings, we open up to train athletes. In the summertime, we open in the mornings. And uh, I've also basically whatever I do in the gym, I share it online. So I've uh, created an online business that parallels what happens in the physical uh, business inside the underground strength gym. And I'm still excited to just learn to be a better coach, whether it's the, the tactical, the technical, um, the art of coaching, the communication that uh, Brett Bartholomew always talks about through his art of coaching information. So it's uh, like crazy. I'm still excited to show up and coach um, that. Yeah, I was thinking that today. I was like, man, I'm like hyped up to coach. And I've been coaching. I actually started coaching. Freshman year in college, I began coaching the sixth grade wrestling team. So I was 17 years old as a freshman in college. And um, I, I, I don't know, like knowing it's when you could do it 
in a very crafty way that elicits great results, you're like, man, I want to help more people. I want to get, I don't want it to be a secret. I want to help more people hmm. build a stronger world. Yeah, for sure. Um, now, uh, how did you kind of get into the online stuff? Because you were like an early adopter, so to speak, with all of that within yeah. strength and conditioning. How did that uh, unfold, Zach? So I like, I just, when you asked me the questions, like I could go back, I laugh at how it started because, um, you know, I, I, I got lucky in those early days. You didn't have a million places to go for business or training information. So Ryan Lee, who is still teaching marketing and business, had um, a couple of, he had membership websites and uh, he had a like CD of the month with a newsletter of the month, print mag, print newsletter. So I bought all of Ryan's business courses. I bought his first business course and uh, I just followed it. I would sat at my desk. I put the CDs in. It's like, okay, come up with a niche. Who do you love to train? Okay. Here's where you go to build a website. Here's where you go buy it. Here's how you write, you know, the website up. So I would pause it and do it. I was a aggressive, aggressive action taker. So Ryan Lee was my first mentor, always was, always will be. I, I, I love the guy. And um, my early days, like the software was so expensive. So if I wanted to create my first ebook, I went on eBay and purchased a bootleg version of Adobe PDF Maker because if you wanted to buy the real thing, it was like 800 something dollars. So if I bought this bootleg thing for like 47 bucks, it was like uh, you had five, you could make five PDFs with it. So I was like, oh man, I get, you know, I, I ain't got a lot of chances to do this PDF. So when I wrote that first ebook, uh, Ryan Lee had it as part of his uh, business program. It was like, all right, 10 chapters, outline the chapters. And I remember doing it. And like my wife's family was like, what is Zach doing? Like, he doesn't even really know how to work a computer. They're like, he's selling workouts online. That's so like dumb. <laughs> so like, you know, we always, uh, I always make fun of them. I'm like, uh, when they're like, oh, we're so proud. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, but remember when you guys were laughing at me? You know, I always kind of rub it. I rub it in their face. So that was the early days. And so I was building my websites, I guess, about 20 years ago. <laughs> and um, here we are still persevering, not giving up, pivoting a little bit. You know, like um, I'd say online, I'm now also uh focusing on middle-aged men, mid thirties, mid forties. That's a real cool uh, community to work with because that's who I am. And uh, I see a lot of middle-aged men just letting themselves go physically, which as I keep harping, it destroys them mentally, psychologically. I mean, men look like shit nowadays. They really do. They look like hell. And it's like, dude, it ain't as complicated as the people want to make it. You know, I'm a big fan of just the uh, the basics and getting great at them and falling in love with the the simple style of training. So it's uh, it's a passion of mine to have kind of like work with the youth and also work with men my age. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's next, Zach? Uh, we're going to touch on your book here in a quick minute, but 
in terms of the pivoting or the vision that you have for underground strength, the online stuff, what, what are you, what are you kind of moving toward currently? So I really want the uh, online program I have for the men. It's called gladiator strong. It's on train heroic. I want that to be a thousand plus members. I mean, I see people on train heroic with 3000, 5,000, and I'm like, man, how do I only have like a hundred people doing this? I got to get it out there. So I'm still pivoting and trying to learn how to impact more people uh, because I love the online because my kids are getting older. All the sports stuff we travel for, I want freedom. You know, I want the freedom to be able to operate my business from the phone. Um, I don't know if the gym, let's say I shut down the gym. I think the gym would still be mine because it would still be the lab where we film and train and invite people. But I've always spoken about having a piece of property with a barn, with a private gym where I'm not renting and paying somebody else's space. So that's a vision I still hold on to. And um, it's hard in my area finding land and, you know, property like that in, in my area of New Jersey. So those are two big areas. And uh, now that I got this first book self-published, I'm like, okay, it wasn't like as complicated as I made it. I, I was pulling the pin before the finish line in every which way possible. And uh, now I'm like, I could do this, you know, I could do the next book and the next book. So um, it's cool. I got that out of the way and I have a uh, confidence that I was you know, fabricating reasons why I couldn't get it done. Mm. So talk about Iron Journeys. Uh, what is it all about? Why did you write it? Um, share a little bit about that. There yeah. So if you see the cover, well, actually, I know um, your podcast is audio. But for the people listening, when you go to uh, Iron Journeys, you can find it on Amazon or ironjourneys.com. There's a uh, kind of like it's symbolic, the cover where there's a, a young kid staring up at a gym wall and the sign says tough gym. Well, tough gym is from Rocky three when Apollo has to take Rocky back to the old school to find himself and rebuild and gain that confidence. Well, on the cover, the little kid is looking up and he sees a shadow and what he's doing is imagining who he can become. But the tough gym sign is symbolic of that. I'm not going to bullshit you. I'm not going to tell you it's a 30 days to this, six weeks to that. And listen, those 30 days and six weeks to this and that are starting points. I, I, I think a lot of people online sell it as like, you will completely transform yourself. The true transformation is never ending. And so this book is for the young kid who needs to be inspired. This book is also for men of all ages. 20s, 30s, 60s, because it takes them back into like a time machine of when gyms were like these, man, it was like a, a it was like a house of iron where there was always like the strong guys who would mentor you and kind of created the rules of the gym. And uh, you were the weaker, newer guy and you wanted to earn somebody's respect. And then through the book, there's lessons such as, okay, I, I'm trying to earn this guy's respect, that guy's respect. But then one of the mentors teaches that the most important respect is self-respect, not what. Uh, so every chapter has 
training lessons, training methods, life lessons, um, and just it's helping you live the strong life, which is, you know, dominate in the gym, in your health and fitness, and dominate in life with your relationships, your work. And um, the book is only like 96, 98 pages, but the original book is over 200 pages. Mm -hmm. But my friend, who's my editor, said, Zach, there's so much kind of overlap through these lessons. You need to break it up. So he's like, let's just pull five chapters. And then I think the next one will have the other five or six chapters. So this is kind of like Iron Journeys Part One. And of course, I want people to just read one or two pages and do something. Now I'm going to do push-ups or I'm going to go to the gym or I'm going to buy an old barbell from the local flea market and put it in the basement and start working and start training. Or, you know, there's a lot of, it says there's five powerful lessons. There's probably five to 10 lessons in every chapter. The reader gets to choose what their favorite lessons are. So uh, my hope is that this book is like a turning pro for somebody else that they can just keep it on the desk as a reminder of what to do. Cool, man. I love that. Um, okay. We're going to start uh, wrapping things up here, Zach. I want to ask you a few more things if you don't mind. Sure. Joe, Joe DeSena, how did you get connected with him? What have you kind of learned uh, from, from, from Joe? Yeah. So when Joe wrote his first book, Spartan Up, he uh, hired one of those companies that does outreach to, you know, uh, get them on the podcast. And I'm sure you've gotten those emails. They're very just like cut and paste. They're basically crap. You know, it's like, is this a human writing it? You know, so I got one of those emails from the, the that marketing company and I respond back saying, of course, I'll have Joe on the Strong Life podcast. Um, put me in touch with him. And I had known about Joe. I had heard about him very little on his website. And I don't even think they had the Spartan website. He had the Death Race website because one of my old wrestling buddies did the Death Race. Mm -hmm. So on the Death Race website, there was like an old headshot of Joe when he was did that uh, race in Alaska, the Iditarod. And um, a year or two before I met him, I actually went to his farm in Vermont hoping to meet Joe, but I was meeting uh, Mark. Why am I forgetting Mark from Seal Fit? I don't know why I'm forgetting. Fine. Yeah, Mark Devine. I haven't spoken to Mark in a long time. So uh, I was kind of going down the rabbit hole of learning from Navy SEALs. It wasn't the saturated market like it is now. And so I drove to Vermont because Mark uh, was like, hey, I'll be on the East Coast helping Joe doing his first Spartan certification, Spartan trainer certification. I go to the farm. Joe is out doing work with people. I meet Mark at Joe's general store and I don't get to meet Joe. But when I get that email, I had already become friends with um, the guys at Barbell Shrugged. So I, I get Joe. He connects with me. I say, listen, I do the podcast with him. And I say, listen, if you want, I could help you launch your first book. I was like, but let me tell you something. That company that reached out to me, they stink. <laughs> I told them, they stink. You're not going to get on any great podcasts. I go, let me put you in touch with the biggest podcasts. And I said, nobody knows anything about you, but people will buy from somebody that they know, like, and trust. So I said, what if I could get my friends out here 
to film a mini documentary on you. And uh, I said, you're probably going to have to pay for them to fly out here and, you know, put us in your um, ski cabin up here. So he's like, okay. So I reach out to my guys back. That was the original Barbell Shrugged crew before they were split up, before Chris Moore passed away. And they're like, so let me get this straight, Zach. This guy will pay for us to come, film a mini documentary, and we put him on our podcast. I was like, yes. I was like, we need to spend like two and a half days with him and just film and make it like a story. So I had... I had connected with some pretty big names like Lewis Howes, uh, Tim Ferriss. I had helped Tim Ferriss with kettlebell training. I put him in touch with Tim Ferriss, with Lewis Howes. So I got Joe on the big podcasts. Then we did the video. Nobody had seen video of Joe. So it was like we recorded our conversations while climbing the mountain. We recorded the workout that Joe kicked our butt through in the morning. We did all this. And then Joe had his um, camera lady there, Marion, who would normally film the events. And then he's like, he's like, what's a podcast? He didn't even know. He's like, I want to start a podcast. They started filming. They created Spartan Up Podcast when I organized that. So as I'm helping Joe with connections and getting him on podcasts, he says to me, uh, Zach, I have to pay you. Like, I got to pay you. How much does it cost? for me to like pay you for all the consulting. I said, Joe, you ever have a friend that did friend stuff for you and never kept score and said, you owe me. I said, I we're friends now and I'm just helping you out. I'm helping you get this book. I, you know, and um, that's how we became good friends. That's how I earned his trust. I didn't ask for anything. Of course I learned from being around him. You know, you've asked me things I've learned like Joe, does not stop pushing and pivoting and creating. And if something like uh, explodes in his business, I mean, I, I don't even know if he thinks about it for a millisecond. He's like on moving on. If he's having a business phone call, it's like while we're climbing the mountain or while we're hiking up the road with a sandbag on his shoulder, it's just like a nonstop go and 5 a.m., he starts the day with, you know, 300 burpees or 10 exercises, 100 reps each. So when you go up there, it's not like you're having some calm time. As soon as you get out of your car, he's walking out the door and you're both, we're both climbing a mountain. His The mountain is in his backyard. So I've learned so much from him. Um, one thing I got to tell you that's so admirable is Man, does he he doesn't change from camera to off camera. He he is Spartan through and through. His kids get off the bus, they're up the mountain. Um, you know, his his kids came, <laughs> he came down to my house uh because they were doing something in Philly. They were at a Spartan race. I'm about an hour from Philly. They come to the beach. You know, my wife is like uh okay with cookies and things in the house. His kids, I don't think, ever saw a cookie at this point. <laughs> They were eating cookies. I saw the look on Joe's face. It it was like somebody was stealing like his, you know, uh, his children or something. It was so funny. And, um, you know, he's a Spartan through and through. He's waking up early. There's no like even when he's on vacation, um, he's training people. He's he he also does this. He sucks you in. You know, if you're on an email 
there's five people on email. All of a sudden you're copied on a chain email and it's always like, I'm looping in Zach. You don't even know what's going on, but he knows how to get people involved. You become like this willing volunteer. I think at Spartan races, and now he also owns Tough Mudder, it's all volunteers. <laughs> like, how do you get like 300 people volunteering? He's like, I get them to believe. He just, he doesn't give you an out. It's so amazing. And um, so inspiring. I mean, he is such an adventurous person. Um, and yeah, man, it's just amazing to, to be around him. He's such a great friend. Cool. Yeah. I, uh, I had uh, another gentleman on that's uh, been, uh, has worked with Spartan. And so he was talking about Joe and I've listened to a lot of podcasts that Joe's been on because I just find him very fascinating. And it, it's uh, you can always learn something from him when you're, when you're yes. listening for sure. Um, okay, Zach, uh, if uh, somebody was going to um, go from the couch to moving on a daily basis, um, kind of like no foundation, no background with physical culture, what are three movements that you would encourage them to learn and implement immediately in their fitness journey, we'll call it? Walking. And I would walk several times a day, five, 10 minutes at a clip, preferably 10 minutes. Um, and preferably right after you have a meal. And uh, that might be hard to do when you're at work, right? Oh, I just ate breakfast. I got to go to work. Oh, I want you to wake up 15, 20, 30 minutes earlier. Um, during your lunchtime, don't sit and you know don't go out to eat. Start packing your meals, chicken and rice, beef and rice. Uh, you know, once a week, maybe it's a, a grilled chicken salad. You know, I pack my kids chicken and rice for lunch. I put it in a thermos. Go take a walk, even in the cold, even in the cold. It's very good. Then have a walk after dinner and preferably a longer walk. So walking, number one, it requires nothing. Um, it's just simple to do. Number two, squatting. You know, you're kind of already squatting when you have to sit on and off a couch or sit on a toilet bowl. Well, do squats where you slowly get your butt to the couch and then stand up. And start doing that several times a day versus I'm going to work out for an hour. It's actually healthier to do kind of this micro dosing throughout the day. And then your third exercise, um, I love carrying things, a basic farmer's walk. But people may not have heavy dumbbells or heavy kettlebells or something that they could carry. But you should be carrying things because it's like an everyday it's a ADL, activity of daily living. I'm working with a state trooper now who had a tough knee surgery. The, the physical therapy slash rehab didn't go so well. Yesterday, we did a lot of carries. And I said, I just want you learning to get back to picking things up off the ground. Get those kettlebells. They're on the bottom shelf. Squat down and twist to pick them up. But learn how to get your body in a good position. Normally, we carry kettlebells. Yesterday, he carried thick handled dumbbells. Um, his one knee is not as good as the other knee. So he had to learn how to kind of lunge into the position. So when you do a farmer walk, every first rep is some sort of a squat deadlift hybrid movement. And uh, carrying, when done with good posture, is full body. You could carry two different weights in each hand. You could carry one weight, which is great for stabilizing the trunk and good for back health and grip strength. Um, you know, the tricky thing again is, you know, what if somebody has zero background, they might just farmer walk, you know, 15 to 20 pound dumbbells. 
And you can find that stuff very cheap now on Facebook. So uh, some sort of a carry. Okay. And then uh, nutritionally speaking, if somebody's just kind of trying to get, get into it, where, what are the basics for nutrition that people should think about or implement, Zach? I think when you're new, you want to stay away from the, you know, the fad diet. And look, sir, some of these fads are, are effective, meaning keto could be very effective. Intermittent fasting can be effective, but when you're new, they tend to like um, um, be too extreme for you. And then you want, you, you break down and you're like, I, I haven't eaten anything. I'm just going to eat these cookies before I heat up my chicken and rice. So have breakfast, lunch, dinner, and maybe something lighter at night um, or something like early afternoon where you're having these smaller type meals and cook in quantity. So what I do is when I'm grilling chicken, I get those big Ziploc bags and I just put in balsamic vinaigrette or some light Italian dressing dressing, and I make sure I've marinated the chicken for at least an hour, but preferably overnight. Then I grill a ton of chicken and I make white rice. I'll do ground beef or, or the ground beef becomes uh, burgers. And then salads are easy to make. Lettuce, tomato, cucumber, some olives. Um, when you're trying to lean out, you got to stay away from processed fake foods. So you, listen, you got to get rid of the shit that's in the house and uh, your kids will learn to eat healthy. Like my son started that chicken and rice thing uh, like in the winter. He's like, dad, I, can you not make me sandwiches? Can you just make me chicken and rice? I was like, well, Ethan, by the time you get to school, it'll be cold. He's like, so what? Then my wife's like, well, just let's just get thermoses. All right. In the morning, I heat it up for a minute, put it in their thermos, and it's chicken and rice every, almost every day, sometimes beef and rice. Uh, and you can't get, you can't get bored of the basics, eggs, chicken, rice, beef. If you're going to have pasta, gluten-free pasta, get some homemade sauce and uh, make it fun. Go and shop at like near me. We could go to Amish markets to get really healthy, natural foods. I have to place an order for our ground beef. I go to a Mennonite farmer. I could see his cows and then he rotates them and there's cows further than your eyes could see, but they're free. They're, you know, they have all this room. They're not fat. You, they almost have like muscles to them and uh, get excited to eat healthy. And look, if there's crap food in the house, it's 99.9% .9 guaranteed you'll eat at least some of it. That's why <clears throat> be careful with intermittent fasting and keto and this and that. That works well for the really extreme type person. Like right now, I've been going like two meals a day. So I'll have like a mid-afternoon meal and then a dinner meal. You know, when I came home or here, I drank coffee. So uh, in the morning I had tea and then I just had a cup of coffee. I did have uh, some trail mix, some mixed nuts, um, but I could do it. You know, I'm a wrestler, so I'm used to like the not eating thing and I'm trying to lean out a little bit. Uh, but if I do eat breakfast, it's eggs. And when I do buy eggs, the majority of the time I go to, uh, I'm in a beach town, but the neighboring town is actually a farm type town. And uh, I buy the, the uh, eggs off the side of the road from in front of somebody's house. I just put the money in their uh, box. Yeah. So uh, make ha make it like fun. So if you're 
dating somebody or married with somebody, you know, have a date to the Amish market, have a date to the healthy supermarket, um, figure out ways to, you know, it's very conspiracy ish, but I'm kind of uh, very weary of the foods that we purchase from supermarkets with all the stuff they get injected with. So I try to minimize that and healthy food is cheaper. Buying a bag of sweet potatoes or potatoes is cheap. So is rice. Chicken is cheap. Beef and eggs have gotten a bit expensive. But uh, if you were to buy a fast food meal, you're looking at like 12 bucks. But I could buy two things of skinless, boneless chicken breast for 12 bucks. And that could last you probably three days versus one meal. So food for thought. Okay. Last question for you, Zach. And then, uh, I'll give you an opportunity to share anything in closing. What do you like to do for fun when you're not in the strength and conditioning and coaching and teaching realm and trying to figure out the next pivot? Uh, do you have some things that you like to do just to kind of, uh, chill and relax a little bit, so to speak? Oh yeah. Anything outdoors, regardless of cold, hot. Um, so I live near the beach. So I'm constantly riding bike. If we go to the beach, I, I haven't surfed this year or last year too much, but we have surfboards, um, fishing. I love to go fishing, mountain biking. Uh, we go to Lake George every year. I rent a boat, take my kids fishing. Just, I love the sun. So right now I'm in my office. I could be in my office for about two hours before I go nuts and I'm out. So um, even when I'm training athletes, uh, you know, in the gym, we will be like, all right, we're going to the park across the street to do some sprints, play some ultimate football, and then come back. If I if I had my way, my gym would be like an outdoor gym. Yeah, outdoors. I love it. Fresh air to me is like magic healing. I fact, remember doing the podcast Spartan Up in the winter. I was in one of the cabins and marrying the producer I was like, Marion, can we do one episode outside? And she said, you know, your energy, not that it was bad in the cabin, but she's like, it was infinitely greater out here. I said, if you don't mind, let's just film the rest of the episodes outside. And there's snow. It's snowing. But I I just love it, man. Fresh air. I feel like a prisoner in a house. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both, Zach. All right. Um. We're going we're gonna to wrap it up right there. Uh, before I do a quick outro and we uh, let everybody get out of here today, um, anything that you want to share in closing, Zach? Any final thoughts, any final words? Where can people connect with you? Where can people find the book? I'm going to turn it over to you. I'll do a quick outro and then we'll uh, we'll wrap it up from there. So platform's yours, Zach. Strong Life Podcast. I think a lot of people who are into strength training will like that. Um, Iron Journeys, that's my new book, ironjourneys.com, or just look it up on Amazon. And uh, if you're into the strength training, you know, get on my newsletter, zachstrength.com, free training courses that you could legitimately put to use and get results from right away before you buy anything. And uh, I'm all on social, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Z Evanesh, Z-E-V-E-N-E-S-H. I think if you just Google Zach Evanesh, you'll start coming across all that. I have thousands upon thousands of free videos, articles. So um, just kind of go down that rabbit hole. And, uh, you know, uh, Quentin, thanks for um, having me and, and uh, wanting to share anything I could share. I hope it inspires people. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you, Zach, for coming on and, and sharing uh, 
your story. Really appreciate it. Okay. Thank you. All of you who are tuning in to another episode of Curious and Candid, I just want to say thank you so very much. I appreciate all of you. I value all of you. And if you guys want to connect with me, two places you can do that. Instagram, Curious and Candid Podcast. Email, podcast at gmail.com. One huge favor I'd ask of all of you, please subscribe to Curious and Candid on iTunes. Leave us a five-star rating and review. And if you guys have any interest in holistic lifestyle coaching, you can visit my website, which is awakentrainingnutrition.com. We'll catch you guys next time on another episode of Curious and Candid.